Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. All right. Well, that was pretty fun. I'm glad we, glad we, could, we could handle this quiz. So what, what were we doing there, guys? We were deciding which of two things is better, right? Both things might have been good, and I think they were, but we decided that one was better. And I want to ask you, who are you relying on when we play a game like that? Me, right? Ourselves, because we always think we know what's better and what's best, right? So obviously, the right answers were coffee and book and Aggies, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, according to my, according to my opinion. But, but all kidding aside, guys, this semester, we are going to be digging into a book that's making the case that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than everything. And in him, guess what? You are not the center of the universe. He is. And we are better together in him than we are on our own. So I'm excited what God's going to teach us. So let's, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to dig into your word. And God, we're expecting to learn something new. And so we're begging you to just teach us through your Holy Spirit. Would you open our eyes just this morning to something new as we do this big overview? And sometimes it can be boring. Would you, would you make it fresh? Would you um, give us just a new insight? And would you give us just excitement and enthusiasm for our For the semester ahead, as we study your word, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to give you an overview this morning, but I also want to give you an overview of just how we study the Bible in general, how we study any book of the Bible. And so to do that, I'm going to borrow an outline from a book that I really like and I want to recommend to you. It's called Women of the Word, and it's written by Jen Wilkin, who is the author of our study, our study guide. And as, <clears throat> I'm going to try to make a case for why we are going to be studying the way we are this semester. And this book does that really, really well. So I really encourage you to pick one up and to read it, especially when you're frustrated with this study. And you're like, why? Why are we doing this this way? She gives you a really, really good case. But I'm going to try to use her outline to kind of give us a big picture of Hebrews today. So how do we study the Bible? How do we study any part of the Bible? Well, we start with purpose. We want to try to understand the big overarching purpose of God's Word. And so I want to tell you a few things about that this morning. Number one, the Bible is one continuous story about God. Now that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, present in Genesis 1 and present in Revelation 21, all the way to the end, and then all throughout God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are revealing themselves to us in one continuous story. Now, oftentimes when we study the Bible, we don't really look at it that way. We think that the Bible is all about us, how we can be saved, how we can live, right? And that's not completely untrue, but the, tr- the whole truth is that God is revealing himself to us in this one continuous story. And when we see him clearly, 
And it takes time. But as we start to see him clearly, we see ourselves rightly. And it changes us. We are compelled to change based on who God is and not on who we want to be. And so in this book, God says so clearly that his clearest revelation of himself of all time was in the person of Jesus Christ. And so God's story is always either pointing us to him, it's pointing toward or looking forward to Jesus, or it's looking back on his life and his teachings and what it means to live in light of the resurrection. And so, ah, I missed my first point. The Bible is one continuous story about God. And so because of um, this story always pointing to Jesus, we study Hebrews very intentionally because Hebrews helps us see the Old Testament and the New Testament in relation to Christ. It's, it's like no other book, and it's really exciting for me because we all remember that we're here last semester. We studied Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we used a study by Nancy Guthrie, and it was called Seeing Jesus in Those Books. And Nancy, over and over and over again, when she wanted us to see Jesus in the, in the covenant or in the law, she pointed us to Hebrews to see that every one of those things was fulfilled in Christ. And so now we get this awesome opportunity to now look at this book of Hebrews and see how it points back and brings in those stories from the Old Testament to see Jesus more clearly, to understand his role and how he, re- how he reflects God more clearly. And then finally, we study Hebrews because it magnifies the supremacy of Christ. Guys, Hebrews makes no uncertain terms about who Jesus is and what he has done and what it means to follow him. There really is no going back, and the author is going to make that so clear. There's no going back. He's either who he said he was or he's a crazy liar, and you can't follow a crazy liar, right? So if he is who he said he was, then he has to be Lord of your life. He's absolutely, unequivocally the Son of God. And Hebrews is going to be making that steady case all the way through. So we study the Bible with purpose. We see the Bible as one whole continuous story. We also study it with perspective. And this is where we're going to be on page number three of your, of your homework book. So make sure that that's open. When we, when we look at perspective, we want to look at perspective of how any book is written. We want to understand the context. What is the context of these words of Hebrews? Now, I want you to know that Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that all Scripture, right? All Scripture is breathed out or inspired by God. But I need you to know that he guided human beings, normal human beings, beings to write these words down. And these were fully functioning people who were influenced by their culture and by what was going on around them, especially when they're writing letters to another group of people. They, we need to understand what was going on around them if we're ever going to understand the perspective of that, of that human author. So they had an audience in mind and they had a meaning that they wanted to convey when they wrote these words. But this is a meaning that God inspired, that God intended to use, right, to teach and to correct and to reprove and to train in righteousness all peoples of all cultures, 
of all times since those words were written down. So they are so relevant to us, but it's so important that we, see, we look at them through the perspective of the author who wrote them down. So we need to ask some questions. Every time we open up a book, any place in Scripture, you need to kind of ask these basic questions. They're really going to help you with perspective, okay? And so we're just going to run through them really quickly. And I actually noticed that I didn't go in the order that they are written. Um, so you're going to have to use your brain <laughs> to, fill in these, to fill in these gaps. Okay, we're going to start with who wrote it. That's the first one. Who wrote the book? Well, in a word, we don't know. That's so frustrating. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know in chapter 2, verse 3, that this author knew or had close association with eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. It says that, that the truths that he's about to reveal were revealed to him by people who heard them firsthand. And so he was very close to the apostles and, or to the disciples. Now, many people for a long time have thought that Paul wrote this book. And in fact, if you have an old copy of a King James Bible, it might say in the title, The Letter from Paul to the Hebrews. Does anybody have that? Anybody still have a, an old King James? <laughs> yeah. Does it say that, Linda? No? Yeah. Well, some people, they, they just thought it had to. Paul wrote so many of the other letters, he just, he just, it just had to. But most, most scholars agree that the language here is so different than any of Paul's other letters, that it's just so unlikely that Paul would have written it. And, and Paul usually def- defined himself as an apostle, an abnormally born apostle, but an apostle. And, he, and this author doesn't do that. And so I don't think it's Paul. And that frustrates us because we just don't know. But I want us to know that this author loved his audience. This author had a pastoral heart for the people that he's writing to. And so I think he had, he had a deep connection pastorally to this church. Well, this is where I skipped the order. We're going to go down to, to whom was he writing? And I, I think this question really helps us unlock the whole book. So I think this, this question is really important. And the, the title gives us a clue. It's to the Hebrews. And in Hebrews is another term used for Israelites, for Jews. So this is a congregation of Jewish Christians somewhere in the Roman Empire. That means that they are ethnically Jews. They are descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were the keepers of the covenant that was given to Moses that we studied last semester. They've believed now that Jesus is the Messiah, the resurrected Son of God, and they are functioning as a church. So they're functioning as a church of Christians, even though they are very Jewish, and they, they're not very far removed from their practices of Judaism. And they seem really to be at a crossroads here. They're really considering going back to those old ways. I know it's crazy for us to think that they might think of temple worship and sacrificial system as being more comfortable than following Jesus the way Jesus laid out for them, but they do. They think that's maybe more comfortable, and they're considering going back, and they're, they're deeply religious people, so they're not considering giving up on Jesus, giving up on God. No way. They would never do that. They are deeply religious. They're just considering going back to the old ways of Judaism. All right, well, when was the book written? Well, it seems to indicate in this book that the temple 
is still in existence. There's a lot going on in this book about the tabernacle and about the temple and how important they are. And this is always an important thing when when people are trying to date books because the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. And there's no indication that that has happened. It seems like they're talking about the temple still being still being around. So we're going to date it somewhere before AD 70. And most scholars believe that it was somewhere in the early 60s AD that this was written. And the reason that they think that is because this book is clearly indicating that these people are facing persecution. Suffering and persecution is kind of ramping up around them. And that's why they're considering quitting. Because, I don't know, do I want to die for this Jesus? I don't, you know, they're, they're questioning that. And we know that persecution really started ramping up in the 60s because Nero blamed all the Christians for this big fire that happened in Rome. He blamed all the Christians. That happened in, early, in the early 60s AD. And as soon as that happened, Christians started being martyred. So our beloved Paul and Peter, they're both martyred in AD 67. And so I think it's before that, but somewhere close to it where it's getting very clear that you may have to give your life in order to continue to follow Jesus. It's not the easy thing to do. And so that time period matters because it helps us to look at these words from that perspective, right? All right, in what style was it written? This is important. This, this is considered an epistle or a letter in our New Testament, but it reads more like a sermon, right? It doesn't have the standard greeting like most letters do, but it does have the standard ending, and so it does seem to be a letter, but I think it's better for us to understand it as a sermon. Most letters were intended to be read aloud to a congregation. You didn't have a lot of copies of these letters, right? And so this letter was intended to be read aloud, and it would function like a sermon, and that's important because we rarely, we rarely do that. We rarely listen to the text. We'd, we'd like to dig in and just start studying it right away, but it's really helpful to just read it out loud from start to finish to hear this long argument. And the reason that's important, let's, let's say that you got a letter in the mail and it was 13 pages long, 13 chapters here. If you got a letter in the mail that was 13 pages, would you pick out chapter, you know, page six and just read that? And think that you understood what the person who wrote you that letter was trying to tell you? No, you would never do that, right? You would start the letter at the beginning, and you would follow it all the way to the end. You might go back and read page six, five or six or ten times, because that that page was really special. But you would never do that without reading the entire letter. And so I want to encourage you to read this as a whole. Our author is going to force that upon us, so it's not, you're not going to have to work too hard because she's going to tell you to do that. <laughs> and I want, you to, I want you to value reading it from start to finish. All right, what are the central themes of this book? This is so important, guys. It's so important to, to have a big overview of central themes because there's some hard stuff in Hebrews, and you're going to be tempted to just, just stay focused on three or four little verses and what they mean. And you're going to go, what in the world does this mean? And it's so helpful to say, what does it mean in light of these central themes? That helps you, not that you figure it out right away, but over time it helps you to figure it out. So I want you to know these basic, these three central themes, okay? This is a very complex book. Hebrews is a complex theological argument, and people uh, a lot of times like to stay away from it because it's just too heady in that way. But this is a complex argument, right? But you can sum it up 
in three words. Jesus is better. That's why I like the title of our, of our study. So you, you may say, better than what, Amy? Well, based on everything else we've just talked about, better than everything that Jews considered to be extremely sacred. So it's going to start off, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Aaron, the first high priest, and every high priest that came after him. Jesus is better than Joshua, the commander of the army of the Lord. I mean, their conquering hero. Jesus is better than him. Jesus is better than every promise given to Abraham that we have talked about so much the last two years. Jesus is better than the covenant that Moses got on Mount Sinai, and that was a big deal. Remember how scary that was, how awesome it was, that the way that they revealed or that God revealed that law to them. Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than the tabernacle where God's glory filled that place and was amazing. Jesus is better than that and better than the temple that came after it. Jesus is better than the sacrificial system. And it's going to go into heavy detail about that. Jesus is basically better than everything that you think God uses to reveal himself. So Jesus is better than the law. For them, that's a really big deal. That is the, the way that they understand God is through those elements of Judaism. And so Jesus is God revealing himself to them clearly and perfectly in a better way. And that's super important. So there's going to be this constant theme all the way through, right? Jesus is better. And where every week that our author is going to ask us, what is he better than this week? What is he better than next week? And you're just going to have to repeat and repeat and repeat and circle every time the word better is used. And you're going to start seeing, wow, this is really about Jesus being better. But there's another thing. <laughs> there's another thing because remember I told you the author has a pastor's heart. And so it's very pastoral throughout the book. And so weaved all the way through are going to be these um, exhortations like a sermon. That's An exhortation is, here's something I want you to do. Here's something I want you to not do. And, and the author is going to just so passionately exhort them. And so he's going to basically say faith in Jesus is better. He's going to say, I know I'm making this long theological argument. I know it's hard. But in the middle of that, guys, you've got to trust to cling to Christ completely. He's begging them to do that. And he's imploring them to believe that perseverance with Jesus is better. They are struggling. They, they don't even know if it's worth it to follow Jesus anymore. And I think we struggle with the same thing. They know that salvation in Jesus is free. But they are realizing very quickly that to follow him, it's going to cost everything. And that is the same for us. To follow Jesus, it's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us our life. And it's a huge commitment. And I don't know. They, they, don't, they just aren't sure. Is it going to be worth it? So our author, he's going to lovingly give them warnings. It sounds like they're mean. But they're very, very loving. There's six, argu- or six different warnings kind of thread throughout. The first one comes in chapter 2. And these warnings are basically saying, pay attention. Don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. Don't fall away. Don't do it. Don't quit. And, oh, my goodness, he's saying, stay the course, my friends, to the end. I love you, and I want you to stay the course 
don't quit. And I hope that we feel that same press pressing on us, that, that same encouragement pressing on us. Because we aren't, we aren't Jews, right? And we don't struggle to go back to temple rituals or worship. I mean, if we were to turn away from Jesus, we would just turn away. We wouldn't go back to Judaism, right? So, so we're a little bit different. But we are faced with the same temptation, guys. I don't know if you talked about this at your table. We did it at ours. But I'm faced with this temptation to forget the message, the gospel message that I've received. And to go back to trusting myself. Go back to trusting my own uh, understanding of my identity based on my circumstances or what God is, you know, how God is blessing me. And finding my identity in that rather than in the gospel that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life for me when I had done absolutely nothing to deserve it and I never can do anything to deserve it or to earn it. I struggle with that. I really do. I struggle with going back going back to just believing that I can do this on my own. And it's something that I have to fight every day. And I think Hebrews is going to really help us to, to press into that temptation, to consider it maybe in a different way. All right, so we've looked at, we study the Bible with purpose. We study the Bible with perspective. And we study the Bible with process. And this is where you're going to love me this semester because Jen Welkin, our author here, she is really digging into a process for us of studying God's word. And it's very, it's very intentional, and I want you to understand why she's doing it the way she's doing it. You don't have to figure all this out on your own. She's leading us to this. I just want you to know what she's doing, okay? So she's going to basically ask us to apply three questions. I got these three questions from Patty Lynn. I see you came, she came in. Wave, Patty Lynn, because I introduced you earlier. She's going to be one of our teachers. <laughs> and um, Jen Wilkin calls these, these three questions... Uh, CIA, comprehension, interpretation, and application. That's what Jen Wilkin calls them. I'm going to use Patty Lynn's because I like, I like these three. Three questions that we're going to always ask of any text of Scripture. Number one, before I get to the question, we're going to read it. In that novel idea to actually read the words of the, of the book of Hebrews, we're going to read it. And the author's going to ask us to read it a lot, repetitively. Every first day of your homework, you're going to read that, the whole text in its entirety of that, of that week's section. And I want you to realize in the back of your book, you've got the whole text of Hebrews written out for you so that you can circle things. Jen is going to ask us to do that. Use colored pencils to highlight words that are repeated or um, draw connection lines. I encourage you to use that. That's a really good way to just read the text because we're asking ourselves this question. What is this passage about? You can't start interpreting it or applying it if, you've never, if you don't even know what it says. So sometimes she's going to ask you to literally look up words in the dictionary because maybe you just don't have the right understanding of that word. It's a word that we don't use very often maybe anymore. And so there's going to be a lot of kind of English class in the reading part. Just read it. Just try to get a sense of who it's talking about, who's the subject, who's the verb in each section, right? But the next thing we're going to do is we're going to reflect on what we read, This is the interpretation part. And to do this, we're asking this question of the text. What did I learn? So you know what? Scripture is really, really good at interpreting itself. And so the thing that that our author is going to ask us to do is to turn to other scriptures that maybe talk about that same kind of concept and see if that gives you any, um, you know, a light bulb moment about what what this actually means, right? So we're going to use scripture to interpret itself. That's a big part of the study. 
And then when we sit together and we talk about the scripture, we're actually doing also the work of interpretation together. Because you may come in and say, man, I just don't understand. I don't know what that question means at all. This is what I think it means. This is what I got from my study following the questions as they were, were, but I'm not sure. And everybody at the table may come in with with a different idea, and you put all those together, and maybe you get a have kind of a clearer picture of what the author is talking about. Interpretation happens best in, in a group, in the church. The Bible is never intended to just be read and understood by yourself. God never intended that for us. And so it's a, it's a gift to be able to interpret it together. And then the last thing that we're going to do is we're going to respond. And this is what Jen Wilkins calls application, which you've probably heard called application before, but we're really asking the question here, how will I apply what I just learned to my life? And maybe you learned something that's very specific to you, and it doesn't matter if anybody else applies it. It matters if you apply it. God really wants you to apply it to something very specific to you. So I want you to know that when you, look, when you read God's word and you see who he has revealed himself to be and who you are in comparison to that, it's always going to require a change in you somehow. It may just be a change in thought or a change in the words that you're using with your kids or maybe your behaviors that you have. But oftentimes it's redirecting the object of your affections. And it hurts these questions, I mean, this pressure to change something really hurts. You really love to read it and try to convince yourself you're doing everything right. But it's just not the way God works. And when he reveals himself to us, he is so holy <laughs> that we see ourselves as not holy at all. We want to be. And the Spirit is just pressing in on us, wanting us to be holy. And he's doing the work of, of sanctification in our lives. And so in order to do that, he's got to ask us to change something. And so every week in your homework, you're going to see these bolded questions. And those are always application questions, and they get personal, and they kind of get in your business. It's like, I don't want to do that. But I encourage you to to be honest there. And when you get together with your group, we're going to be asking some of those application questions. And I want to encourage you to, to share from the heart that this is a safe place to share those things. This is how God changes us and grows us. All right. So we are... Studying God's word with purpose, with perspective, with process. And this is what I want to encourage you as we close today, with patience. I want to say up front that this kind of Bible study can be very hard. It requires discipline to mine out these truths of the text yourself. No one is going to be spoon-feeding you the answers. And we want to be spoon-fed, right? We just desperately want that. And so it's hard and I want you to think of, think of this study like a savings account. <clears throat> you know, when you have a piggy bank like this and you put a penny or two into it, it seems like nothing, right? You drop those pennies in and you think, I'm never going to have enough saved up for that vacation. I'm never going to have enough saved up for a down payment, right? But over time, those pennies add up. And if you put them in a, in a smart place... They might even start collecting interest, right? And before you know it, they become something that you just had no idea they could become. And I think that God's word is like that. Not every line 
whoops, sorry, not every line of the text is mind-blowing, right? And not every section are you going to read and just feel really good about it. It might be hard, and it might be boring, quite frankly. I mean, it's, it's just true. Sometimes it is. It's not always great, but together those words start to come together, and they start to to start gaining interest in your life and in your heart. And as you, as you apply them, as, as you think about Hebrews in relation to what you learned in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, all of a sudden you start realizing, oh my goodness, I can trust God when something really hard is happening around you. <clears throat> I don't know what your situation is going to be this semester, but I know that these words can speak into any and every situation that we face as followers of Christ. And, the, and we have to do the work of discipline in order to gain that savings account in our heart. And so Hebrews really c- encourages us this way. Um, our author at the end is going to tell us about discipline. And he says, uh, for the moment, all discipline seems rather painful. And that stink. I mean, I don't like pain. But <laughs> all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so we're disciples, guys. Like it or not, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. And the same root word, disciple, is the same root word in discipline. And to be a disciple, to be learning of Jesus, what he's teaching us, we have to apply discipline to that task. And so I just want to encourage you to study with patience this semester. And finally, uh, we're going to study with prayer. I'm going to ask you to ask the Spirit to teach you. It's not, my, it's not on me <laughs> to teach you. The Spirit will teach you. I'll, I'll do my best, and my team will do our best to present God's Word. But we might say something you don't agree with, and that's fine. Because I'm trusting that the Spirit is going to teach you and guide you into all truth. We're going to, we're going to keep our minds set on, on the text and trust the Spirit together. So I want you to expect him to convict you in prayer. Ask him to convict you. You know, we had Jill Briscoe with us a few months ago. Um, Were very many of you here for Jill Briscoe? You remember when Jill taught us about prayer? uh, At the end, she she said, basically, all prayer is, is being willing to say yes to God. Even if he says no, prayer is being willing to say yes to God. So I'm trusting that God has something to say to you this semester in the book of Hebrews, something that applies so specifically to what you are going through right now that it will really freak you out. I really expect that to happen. He's going to challenge us collectively to change something as a whole, as individuals and as a whole, maybe the way we think or the way we talk or the way we behave. But hopefully it's the object of our affection Hopefully he's going to push us, press on us, to make Jesus the object of our collective affection. And so my prayer is that together we say yes to him. So let's close in prayer. God, will you help us? Will you help us as we open up this word and we start digging in with discipline? And it's hard. Will you help us? We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit, Father, to to teach us and to convict us. We trust you that you long to reveal yourself to us through your word. And we look forward to how we will see you more clearly as we study Hebrews this semester. Would you give us the perseverance and the patience to do the task and to do it with joy and to share it together as family. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.